There I'm on. Good morning, everyone. We get a real nice late start to it because, you know, we just, we're just habitual creatures that start late. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. So thankful, Lord, to again gather in your name. And Lord, with the freedom that we have to sing loudly and proclaim who you are and the goodness of what you have done, what you are doing for your salvation, Lord, that we can praise you and worship you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for that ability and that privilege this morning to do so. And I pray that we would take a take every advantage that we have of this and that we would grow in you and and worship you and, and adore you as you deserve for the opportunity that we have. And Lord, I just, I thank you for each one that is here. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that each one of us would open our hearts to you as we, as we sing and as we hear your word. And Lord, we would allow you to change us. It wouldn't be about us. It wouldn't be about what we get, but Lord, what we can give to others and what we can give to you this morning. And we just lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. who your God is this morning? Ty, did you change my gain on my guitar again? Because it went really, really quiet. Is it good? Okay. Years I 
spend in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing that it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did spend at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so today? Is it being multiplied or did it just happen and die? Or is it being multiplied this morning? You know, this week I've been putting a truck together in my shop and my wife says at the beginning, I'm always so overwhelmed and I am. Um, it, it looks the whole project from start to finish. It just looks overwhelming. But as you start and you work one piece at a time, it comes together, right? You just, that little wire goes there. That little air hose goes there, that piece of there, that little thing gets welded to that, that hole gets drilled, that bolt goes in there. It's one piece as it go. And I had to think of how God has to look at me. I, I'm sure for myself, I looked overwhelming, even to God, when he looked at me in the beginning. Amen, Amen exactly. Oh. <laughs> but it's one piece at a time as God puts us together, his plan of salvation, his sanctification, as sanctification continues to happen in my life, that's the beauty of what God is doing. 
And I'm so glad that he is not actually overwhelmed, no matter what you say, John. Um, he's not overwhelmed with us. We, we fail. I mean, I, I look at it and I see one weld that goes wrong and I have to grind it back out. And I'm like, ugh, that's annoying. But the reality of it is, how many times do I screw up? How many times do I mess up? And God goes, no, I'm happy to grind that back out there. Let's, let's put that back to the way it belongs. And I'm so thankful that God continues to do that in our lives and puts us together in the way that he wants us to if we're just willing to allow him to fashion us into the way that he has for us. And as always, if you have a testimony of what God is doing or a prayer request, please um, share and feel free to share And um, in between songs. Maybe don't start in the middle of a song. That'd probably be best, but... Um, but yeah. The king of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am i 
few um, of us moms are probably feeling a little tired and like we need Jesus every hour, every minute um, with all the sickness that we've um, been going through and watching um, our little kiddos, you know, struggle and just, it's, it's been a hard season. feels like there's a lot of sickness and um, it kind of can start feeling like it can wear on your soul and um, this week has been kind of a rough rough week for me I don't know why I'm crying (laughs) but um, I guess I need prayer and I just uh, I've been praying for all of you guys and and the sick kiddos, mama, and so many people that I know who are um, sick and just not feeling very well, but I pray more than anything that Jesus would become more and more precious to us and give us his strength, um, no matter the outcomes or disappointments or, yeah, things that we go through in this life, that he would become more precious and that our life would be, um, yeah, our joy would come from him alone and not whether we're sick or not or all of these ups and downs that we face. So I don't know, maybe we can just pray for everyone, for our church, that God would keep us healthy and um, heal those who are sick and, um, yeah, bring us uh, all through this um, stronger in him and more encouraged in him. <clears throat> Phil, would you lead us in that? My wife would like you all to stand. Sorry. Sorry, Jeremiah. You almost got away with it again. If it wouldn't be for my wife, you, you would manage to get away with it. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to death. When death was arrested and my life began. Your grace so free washes
Lord, it's, this world can fill up so many spaces in our life. But Lord, I pray that those would be in the rearview mirror and it would be something that we have on the side. But Lord, that you would be our main purpose, our main goal in life. To know more of you, to see you more and more as our days and our life goes on. That we would see more and more of you in all the trials and the things that we go through in life. That we would see Jesus and know you more for who you are. Thank you for being such a faithful and amazing God. Amen. Okay, the children can come forward. Well, I guess you're not going to get any help from that bench. Hey, Brad, would you come up here if your sisters came with you? You wouldn't? Now all the youth are thankful that you said no. All right. What do you guys got this morning? God's not dead. God's not dead, no, He is alive. God's not dead, no, He is alive. God's not dead, no, He is alive. I feel Him in my hands, feel Him in my feet, feel Him in my heart, feel Him in my soul, Whoa. feel Him all over me. God's not dead, no, He is alive. God's not dead, no, He is alive. God's not dead, no, He is alive. I feel Him in my hands, feel Him in my feet, feel Him in my heart, feel Him in my soul, Woo! feel Him all over me. What, what?
Wow. Did you all wake up and decide to look like Dad, or did Dad decide to look like you all? Ah. So you all decided to look like lumberjacks this morning. I feel honored. Thank you. Huh? St. Patrick's Day? Then you go green? Okay. It's the one day you're allowed to go green. All right. What's another one? Um, cast your burdens. Hey. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Unto Jesus, for He cares for you. Cast your burdens unto Jesus, for He cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Okay, who has children's this morning, class this morning? Luke? Who is on this morning? Huh? You are. <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, we'll sing for five more minutes. That's what we got. No one's on children's lesson? Yep, I'm no one. Thanks for telling me, telling me exactly how you felt about me. I'm just a big nobody. <laughs> nobody did it, right? You ever have that happen at home? You never had it where you were accused of it, Tiffany was accused of it, he was accused of it, and they, uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't you, you're not me, not me. Nobody did it. It was me. You didn't know I was even there. Nobody. Huh? You know that's what we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be a nobody? 
Hmm? There is a song, actually. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the song is. Did you guys ever remember hearing that growing up? No. Uh, there was a song we used to listen to, you know, like all those goofy Mennonite songs we used to, you know, hear every once. There was a song, it's something about nobody did it. Don't you ever remember hearing that? Some, I don't know, who sang that? You remember it? John, you remember it ever? Then she don't remember it? Oh, the Casting Crowns one? Okay. There was just something about it anywhere in there that just said, nobody did it. And then they go on again and nobody did it. All right. But we're supposed to be a nobody. How are we supposed to be a nobody? By being invisible, okay. Huh? Just being yourself? That's how I'm a nobody, but um, how are we supposed to, do you think the Bible says we're supposed to be a nobody? How? Why? Huh? Because God made us to be us? That's true. But, okay, so what does it, what does it mean when you become a Christian? You know? We follow God, okay. A little bit more than that. We love God, okay. We read the Bible, okay. We seek His, we seek Him, we, we desire to know Him more. What else do you think? Anything else? So we ask Him into our heart, but we ask Him to come in and take control of our life. So if I am somebody... How much control does God have? God has all of it. If I'm somebody, I want to be somebody. Oh, no, don't tell me what to do. Is that how it goes? Huh? We have to be nobody so that Jesus can be somebody. Right? <laughs> we should all be nobodies. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's your lesson for this morning. Sorry I didn't have the scripture to go with it. Phil would probably have one off the top of his head. But we are called to, we must decrease. I think, was it Paul that said that? No, it was Jesus said, I must decrease so that, John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he may increase. And I was in the right time frame. I just couldn't quite get it, but thanks. Um, I must decrease so that he may increase. That's who we are. We want to become nobody so that he can become somebody. All right. All right, one more song. Jesus Loves Me. That's a great song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Okay, you can go back to your parents.
Thanks, guys. Sounded good this morning. It uh, was nice to hear a full band. Thank you, Preston, for hitting those drums for us this morning. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. I don't see any visitors here. If you think you are, well, tough. You're not. Um, so I don't know that I need to make a whole lot of announcements because everything is pretty much... Uh, as usual, read your bulletins. As I mentioned last Sunday, we have a guest speaker with us in two weeks, Dave Arden from Spirit of Martyrdom. And uh, I think you all enjoy hearing him speak, so feel free to uh, share that with, with others and uh, invite others to come to that as well. Um, the clock's moving on, so maybe we'll give... Uh, fill our time right away here so that uh, we can have lunch before it burns. How about that? (laughs) All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time that you've given us here this morning. I thank you for each one here and for allowing us to just come to you in worship and in praise. I thank you for ministering to our hearts here already this morning. I pray that you would now speak to us through your word and that you would uh, give our brother the words that you want him to say, to minister to each one wherever we are at. Father, you know the needs of each heart and life here this morning. I pray that you would minister to each one. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Phil. Lord took me to Jeremiah 32, verse 29. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Later in the chapter, verse 38. And they shall be my people. He's the God of all flesh. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way. That they may fear me always. For their own good. And for the good of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. And I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. I don't know if you know this God of all flesh. But if you behold him and he's your Lord. An earthly king like all the kingdoms around us. 
And so it came from their earthly, selfish perspective and desires that God granted them a king. And God and his prophets wept over it. Nevertheless, the Lord did use it to establish for a season an earthly kingdom and to teach his people what a kingdom looks like. You see, God is never, his purposes are never thwarted. Even if for our fleshly desires he grants us something, God still fulfills his purpose in it. And that's what he did with Israel. He showed them what a kingdom looks like. Can you imagine a Bible without the kings and the chronicles in it? Well, if you never read it, you can. But if you understand how God related to Israel through their kings, and as a kingdom, it helps us fully appreciate and enter into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it develops within us the mindset of a kingdom. And that's why I still believe democracy at its heart is antichrist. You may appreciate it and we live in it. But what it does, it sets itself against the kingdom of God and in our mindset, who is the king of a democracy? Someone tell me. The people. We are our own God. No king's going to tell me how to live. That's the spirit of democracy. And unfortunately, many, many of God's people relate in the kingdom of God with the spirit of democracy. And I believe that's why the church of Jesus Christ has suffered so terribly with all the plagues of the earth because we have a God sitting on my, the throne of my heart saying, my world is my kingdom. I get to have the say-so in my life. I want a king. It's called democracy. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, has never flourished in a democracy. Never. As a general whole, it flourishes in a kingdom where there are rulers that are dictators, where people are forced, compelled to serve. Think about it. Look at its history. That's where it began. That's where it exploded. That's still where it thrives and flourishes. And we, God's people who live in a democracy, we pity them. We pray for them. Well, that was for free. I didn't plan on saying that. But it's very thought-provoking. But I want to continue with this word in Jeremiah. Because the Lord has a word for us. Notice what he tells me. He says what he tells you a little earlier. He says in Jeremiah 29, verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, 
and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes to you. But I want to note something here where the Lord says in verse 41 of Jeremiah 32. Have you noticed as I read that, that the Lord continues to say, I will, I will, I will. When I open my heart to his, I will in my life. That's when I experience his faithfulness. His everlasting covenant is made there. And that is where he becomes the God of my flesh. In Luke, in Luke chapter 12, there's a verse that the Lord has given me and speaking strongly into my heart. And this is kind of a, a continuation from a word that I was sharing with you a few weeks ago. Verse 31 of Luke chapter 12. But seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. How do you add the things of this world to you? How do you go about doing that, brother, sister? Invest wisely. I'm smart. I think it through. I put good financial counselors in my life. I work hard. I get up early. I work late. I'm wise. I'm, I'm careful. I count my pennies so I don't have to worry about my dollars, one brother once told me. Is that how you add to your life? That's how the world adds. This is the wisdom that comes from the world to us who live in the world. And unfortunately, this is exactly how a lot of Christians seek to add to their life what they feel they're lacking, whether it's finances, wealth, or just even just plain wisdom. Boy, it's amazing how many of the men who have so-called made it in this world can come into cities across this country and put on a weekend of a conference and people will pay three, four, five hundred dollars to go there for a weekend and listen to them, tell them how to add to their life. How are you going about it? But seek for his kingdom and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid. That word afraid, by the way, is the word insecure. Don't be insecure, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That's where the kingdom is. To give you the kingdom. Now he tells us how to go about it. You really want to go this way? 
Sell your possessions. Give to charity. Make yourself purses which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This time I'm going to write more than a zero minus. I heard the other week that they were, Brad was laughing at me because he was like, I was going to write something on the board and he said, you only put a zero minus up there and then you went on to say something completely different. Well, those of you who know and are used to my preaching, you know that's how it goes. But he was like, what is a zero minus anyway? I don't even know what that is. There's nothing like a zero minus. Have you ever lived in a deficit? You know what they call a deficit? It's a zero minus. A zero minus plus, plus, plus. That's what they call a deficit. Do you know the meaning of those two words? Can someone tell me? What's the meaning of those two words to you? Hmm? What does God mean to you? What, is, what, does that, what does that stand for in your life? Lord, Savior. Lord, Savior. Love. Faith, power, personal friends. Very good. These are all very good. You can keep going if you want. All I need. Very good. What about this? Do you know what this word means? Wealth. Okay. Anything else? Fame. I think I should start writing some of this down. Let's go back to God. Power, love, faith. What else was it? Some Lord. Long suffering. Did you say, Lukey? It fits underneath this one. Savior. There were some more. What did you say, Pat? Personal friend. Personal friend. Hmm? Power. Got it. Grace. Grace. Very good. What else? Did I miss anything? All I need. All I need. Over here we have wealth, 
Anything else? Fame. Paying bills. I like that. Paying bills. Fame. Anything else? Pride. Ooh. Insecurity under mammon? Yeah. Oh, okay. True. You got to protect it, don't you? Self sufficiency. That's right. Passes away. Oh, I like this. This is interesting. Less others. That's just what we read, didn't we? Sell your stuff. Give it to charity. Because it puts eternal riches... Okay, that's a good list. Jesus spoke this word in Luke 12 to someone who wanted something from his brother. In verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, let's look at the context. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? I bet that guy was shocked. Would you expect Jesus to say that to you? Wait, my brother, he's selfish. He's keeping all of the inheritance and I'm supposed to have half of it. I know who can settle this. Can you imagine the conversation between him and his brother? I know who will settle this righteously. Jesus. I'm going to Jesus and telling him. And he comes to Jesus. And there's a big crowd around him. Jesus. Tell my brother. Maybe his brother was right beside him. Let's take this one to Jesus. What do you think this guy expected to hear from Jesus? Do you think he expected these words? Have you ever gotten these words from Jesus when you went to him to settle your case? Whether it's with your wife or husband, brother, sister, business partner, somebody who's wronging you, honestly wronging you. And Jesus says, but he doesn't stop there. He says, who made me a judge over you? And he said to them, beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. What happens when we have an abundance? What is the one feeling you get when payday hits? You know, as they say, my boat came in. I mean, all of a sudden, you're just flush with cash. And it's... 
you're completely depressed about it, right? What's the feeling you get? Hmm? Happy. And something else. Huh? Relief. Yeah, if you're wanting to pay bills, like Dave said. Okay, insecurity. You begin to think, how am I going to wisely protect this? But something else. What's one of the first impulses after the happy impulse? No. That comes later. This one comes first. What are you going to do with all that money? Spend it. I get to spend it. Isn't that the one of the first thoughts that come in your mind when you get past the bills and you still have plenty? Now what am I going to do with it? Oh, look what I can do with all this money. Seriously, if you won the lottery this week, even if you just won a million dollars, I mean, it's up in the billions now. Isn't that how you'd feel? Now, later you might be depressed when you get buyer's remorse because statistics show that most of the people who win the lottery in a couple years are completely broke. They lost it all. Very few have kept it. It's true. Google it. Well, Jesus, understanding this, says to this guy who wants half the inheritance, you watch out for greed. Because even though his brother has all the money, it doesn't hold his life. His life doesn't consist by what he possesses, and neither will yours. Life is more than money. And he told them a story. He told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? I have way more than I need. He thought. Right? He thought so. Because that's the feeling wealth, mammon, brings to you. It's only a feeling. That's all it is. And he said to him, and he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, hey soul, hey Phil, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be happy. Uh-oh. What's eating and drinking going to do to that, all that money? It's going to eat away at it. But way worse than that. It's only a feeling. Because then God spoke. Oh, he hadn't thought about what God was going to say, had he? That wasn't even in his mind. But God spoke into his moment of prosperity. And God still speaks into our moments of prosperity every time. Whether it's fame, wealth, pride, self-sufficiency, God still speaks right into that moment of our life. And these are the words God said, You fool. 
This very night, your soul is required of you. Tonight, you're going to die. Who's then will all this stuff be? Who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The deficit is a zero minus plus plus for this man. But unfortunately, he didn't know it. Where was the deficit? Where was that deficit? Someone tell me. Where was the deficit in his life? He didn't see it. He didn't even know he had the deficit. What he was saying to himself is, I've, I can live happily ever after all the rest of my life. Where was his deficit? His heart. Right? Eternity is where his deficit lay. And eternity was going to start tonight. That's where his deficit lay. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. So as to what you shall eat, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food, and the body than clothing. So I was sharing with you, out of the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 6, if you remember. And we were talking about the seed of the word of God, and how we get robbed. And that the word of God is the seed which is sown every time God speaks and we hear something happens. It's never an idle word. Like Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32. This word which I'm speaking to you is not an idle word. You know what the idle means? It means when we say a car is idling, it means the vehicle is just sitting out there, the engine is running but it's going nowhere. It's not transporting you anywhere. You're still right here two hours later in an idling car. The Word of God is not a word that is idle to us. It doesn't let you be here again. You're never going to be the same after this hour. Never again. But see, you think you will, right? Oftentimes we think, we even come, not only to church, we open our Bibles and we think, I'm going to read and take this to myself to encourage myself. But we don't understand that when we do this, it's never an idle word. We are changed. Either our heart hardens just a little bit or it softens and something grows. Seed is put into it. Something that's going to bring forth fruit and change my life. Not immediately. And that's why we get robbed. Because we don't see it right now. It doesn't happen. Every time I open my Bible and, whoa, something happens in my heart. And I'm completely transformed. And like light bulbs go on. And I get revelation and all of a sudden, I'm a lot meeker than I was. All the emotion that was in my heart, it's gone. And I'm strong now. My faith is strong. It doesn't happen that way. 
The word of God, Isaiah 55 says, is like the rain coming down out of heaven. And that's what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He said, the word that I share with you is like the dew falling down. It's a mist. And it waters the earth. It's not a pouring torrent of rain that washes away earth. It's a mist. So gentle, you can hardly feel it. But it does make you wet. It does make the earth wet. It's seed. What is the effect of seed when you throw seed on the ground? When you go out and you sow it, do you see immediate results? No. You may have to wait quite a while to see any results. But every time the word God speaks, it's a seed on our hearts. And... Some falls by the wayside, Jesus said. What happens to that seed that falls on a place of pride or fame or mammon? What happens to it? Satan is immediately there. I tell you, Satan, the devil, is engaged every time you hear the word of Christ. He knows its power. He's right there to snatch it so you're going to forget it. Never penetrates your thoughts much. You read it, but you don't even meditate on it. You don't think about it. It's gone. Or the next one, Jesus said is, it does bring almost immediate results. And all of a sudden it's just, it pops right up. I said that was in Matthew 6. I'm sorry, that's in Matthew 13 where Jesus speaks of the parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 6, I was reading there earlier, but... It's in Matthew chapter 13, and he says, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Did you ever read a psalm? You were feeling depressed, and it was like someone just put, inflated your tire. You had a flat spirit, a flat tire. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but if I get a flat tire, it never makes me happy. Anybody gotten happy over a flat tire? Hallelujah! We got a flat tire! Praise the Lord! You just get all excited because you had a flat tire. No. It's just like the hissing sound of the air going out of the tire. Flat. Feel that in your spirit? And then you read Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside calm waters. I can feel a little more air. He restores my soul. I'm feeling it. Ever had that happen? Oh, I did many times. Many times. Immediately, it gives you a little joy. And you close your Bible and you got a little spring in your step. You're actually, nothing happened. No circumstance changed. The Word of God just gave you a little joy. Pumped you up. And that's fun. That's exciting when God's Word does that. But it's dangerous. Have you ever considered that? That feeling is 
dangerous to your soul. What happens to everyone who get, receives the word of God like that? The end result is mammon. You have your nice little quiet time with Jesus for 15, 30 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. And you go out of the door pumped. And you walk into your workplace or you, you jump in your car and you go down the road and the first thing that happens is some dude or grandma cuts you off. Right, Linda? I'm picking on her. Mm, don't you know I have places to go? I'm in a hurry here. What? Where did the precious little feeling go? Someone just stuck a, hair, a nail on your tire. That's exactly what happens. If that feeling is something you're looking for when you come to the Word of God, it'll have no root in himself, Jesus said, verse 21, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately you're flat. So, if you're looking for that feeling from God's Word, watch out. Danger. Danger. Deflation is coming. Just know that. You get joy quick, it will quickly leave you. What we should be looking for when we come to God's word is the mist and the seed that will bring forth fruit later. Later results. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, verse 22, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And that's where I left off is the anxiety part. And we talked about how anxiety kills the word of Christ. It's effect on my life. Now it's not the same as the person who cuts me off out the street, I got pumped up this morning. Jesus put some air in my tire and my feelings are, yeah, boy, I had a good time with the Lord. Man, that was a good sermon. Have you ever sat underneath someone who really spoke eloquently? And I mean, it pumped you up. You went in there just kind of humdrum, ho, ho, well, we're going in this meeting and it's just going to be another church service. And But somehow, something pumped you up and you got fired up and you left you don't even know what got you fired up you just know it was a good sermon someone says what was the sermon about uh, it was good man it was good because you're feeling good you're pumped up but you go out and you jump in your car and your kids are starting to scream and they say no when you say do something uh what happens to that feeling that you just got pumped up with? Oh, I have peace. I know how to deal with this. Hey, son, you're just calm. You've got it now. Nope, it left. So we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking now about you come in and you didn't, it wasn't an emotional experience, but you really do feel like 
over time, maybe over the last month or over the last six months, you feel like you're being changed. God is good to you. And you are becoming stronger. And you've endured the trials and the persecutions and the people cutting you off and the people saying bad things to you. You've endured all that. You've endured the rebellious of your children or, or the hardness of life that came at you. Or it's been okay. You were strong. You weathered the disappointments. But then something else happens. What happens next? Jesus said this is the way life is. He who hears the word the worries of the world, over that six months, erosion happens in your life. Stress, cares, anxiety, and worries about money, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, if this isn't a very interesting word. In the New Testament, the common language that was spoken was Greek when it was written. They wrote it in the Greek language spoken by the Roman world of their day. But this is not a Greek word. It was spoken, but rarely. You can only find this few times where Jesus called it mammon. And it's interesting that only Jesus called it this. It's actually a root word. It's a Chaldean word. It comes from the Chaldeans way before the Romans, back in Nebuchadnezzar's day. And what it means is substance. Like you said, wealth. But wealth has, doesn't even quite fit it. So it, the English translation of it is wealth, substance, just stuff. Stuff. Isn't that exactly what this guy had? He had stuff. Lots of it. He had to build bigger barns, put all his stuff in it. But it gives you a feeling of security, stuff. And so this word, rightly, should be translated stuff. That's what we got. We have stuff. And stuff does something to us. Here's the secret. Stuff is in my heart. I tell the boys, our boys regularly, whenever they ask me, Dad, can we get something or can we do something tomorrow or can we do something? Or even if we make plans as a family, we're going to plan to do something this week. I look them in the eye and they know what's coming. What does Dad say? Don't set your heart on it. Don't set your heart on it. You'll be disappointed. That's what Jesus is talking about. Because out of the treasure of the heart, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, and we read that in Luke, for where your treasure is, if your treasure is stuff, guess what else is going to be there? Your heart. Your heart. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, for me, I've read these scriptures many times, and maybe you thought this is where I was going, is get rid of this stuff, man, in your life. Stuff is dangerous. All of this stuff, just get rid of it. Now, Jesus did say, sell it. Get rid of stuff. It'll help you with your heart. Sometimes we need to do that. Like Dave Ramsey says, if you're terribly in debt, he says, sell everything you have so much so that the kids will think they're next. (laughs) He's just using a dramatic illustration to try to get people to, to take it seriously. But that's exactly what Jesus said. If your stuff has your heart, there's one way to get your heart back. Sell your stuff. But that's not the real antidote that Jesus is after. The real thing he's after is the heart. The heart. And so he says, this answer for this guy who had all this stuff. What does he, where is the warning in Luke? Let me get back to that scripture. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 12. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself, stuff for himself, and is not rich toward God. Verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be as also. And so the Lord speaks to me and says, and he's speaking to you right now, I want your heart above all else. That's what I want. And that's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler who came to him, and he said, do the commandments and live. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, the first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, he said, I've done all the commandments. I've kept them all. And Jesus loved him. And his love spoke directly to his stuff. So what that tells me is Jesus first, he just wants our heart. He doesn't care about the stuff. Like he said to this rich man, your stuff is all going to be someone else's one day anyway. Stuff comes and stuff goes. That's life. But what Jesus wants is my heart, my love. And that's why Proverbs chapter 4 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Where's your heart? It will be with your stuff unless you give it to Jesus. And after, if we come to Jesus and Jesus says, Love me with all your heart, and my answer is, I do, Lord. Guess where Jesus is going to take us next? All of our stuff. Like he did that rich young ruler. And unfortunately, his heart stayed with his stuff. At least at that moment. We don't know what happened to him. But he went away sorrowful. Because he didn't want to get rid of his stuff. That Jesus just revealed where his heart was. He wasn't really being honest. Sure, he had kept all those commandments. But the one commandment that he had left out of the Ten Commandments was this. Thou shalt not covet. 
That's the one Jesus touched. Thou shalt not covet. In Hebrews chapter 13, this word is commonly used, and I have done this many times in my own life, when people are afraid, when people are insecure, and they're insecure because of stuff. Think about what makes you insecure. When do you feel insecure in your life? When your wife leaves you? When your husband leaves you? When your money leaves you? When stuff disappears from your life, right? That's when we feel insecure. I'm talking about a feeling. That's when you feel insecure. We feel secure when our stuff increases. Jesus knows that. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks directly into the heart of the matter for us. Verse 5, let your character, your inner man, be free. Wow, what an interesting word. Now, why didn't he use another word? Free? We use the word free when it's associated to debt, right? I'm free from the debt. Yes. Or we use it when, we're, when we think of being under the control of someone else. A slave is set free from the control of his master. I'm free. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit here, is speaking to us in a different context. Let your character be free from the love of stuff, money. Being content with what you have. You see what you're set free to be? Content is freedom. Have you seen it that way? Contentment is freedom. Being content with what you have. For, now God's speaking. You see how God is speaking? He spoke to, the, to that rich man when he said, Oh, my soul, be at ease. Boy, he wasn't free, was he? Who wasn't he free to? That night he was going to die and he wasn't rich towards God. He was going to be a slave to all of his stuff. In the sight of God, his heart was where? With his stuff. And all of a sudden, his stuff wasn't his anymore. Let your character be free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never desert you. Nor will I ever forsake you. Now, we love to say those words. I've said it many times when I felt insecure. There's only one person that says that to me. I will never leave you, Phil. I will never forsake you. So we quickly, we go to that verse. I remember going to this verse when our son Christian died. And I was feeling really, really a lot of pain in my heart. He was our only son. Now we have no living children. And we wanted children and I felt robbed. I didn't feel free. I didn't want to be free from him. I felt robbed. 
And then the Lord spoke these words. I went for these words, but you know what the Lord spoke to me? The Lord said to me, let him go. Be free from the love of Christian. There's a love, there's an area of your heart that he's had, I want you to give to me. And if you don't, I will not be with you through this. This promise is not for you. This promise is conditional. It's to those whose character is free from all other loves of stuff. And its love is set upon God. Christ becomes where their heart is, their treasure. Then the Lord says, oh, you're going to invest your treasure in me? You're going to give your heart to me? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But that's not what that rich man heard. Why? Because his heart was in his stuff. And it all left him. And Jesus didn't say, Oh, but I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Mm -mm. Those are not the words he heard that night. He heard the words where Jesus said in another place, Depart from me. Depart from me. I will not be with you. So that, verse 6, we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Again, the word insecure. I will not be afraid. The opposite word is, I will be confident. I will be confident. You see, the deceitfulness of mammon is this thing that it makes us feel confident. Think about it. If someone were to give you a million dollars today or you this week won the lottery, for real, and you had a billion dollars, would you feel more confident than you do today? All of a sudden, be honest with yourself, would I? All of a sudden I could pay all my bills. All of a sudden I could, I'd have so much so, I'd, wouldn't I feel pretty confident? Yes, you would. Let's not deceive ourselves. The deceitfulness of riches is that it gives a feeling of confidence. That's what this guy had. A feeling. But was it real? Was it enduring? No. That night, all left. He was left with nothing. See, that's where he takes us to this truth. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? Because he says, actually that, continuing the word in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a warning, so I'm going to jump from Hebrews 13 to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he's, it's a word in the context to slaves. Now I want you to think about being set free. Right? That's what we're talking about. And this is a very interesting thing that I wonder how many Christians who lived through the Civil War in America understood this truth and how it guided them through that period because the Civil War, as most of us know, was fought over the right to own slaves. Right? There were many other geopolitical things at work and that influenced the Civil War. But 
the, 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 the main theme was slavery, the emancipation, the proclamation of emancipation that Abraham Lincoln put out there. Every human being has the dignity to be free, should have that right. Is that what God said? Listen to God's words. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. Whoa. And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Now, I'm not advocating slavery by any means. I'm simply bringing this truth to us because the Holy Spirit speaks in ways, again, I told you, we think democracy is spiritual. That's not how God's Word teaches it. It's higher than that. It speaks to the heart. Could a person who is enslaved, can a person who is in a country where there's dictatorship, like North Korea, be as free in Christ as I am? Can he? How do you honestly answer that question? Depends how you pray for them. Do you pray that they would be set free? Or do you pray that their faith flourishes? Now we can pray that God has mercy and does set people free. The church did for Peter, right? Peter was in prison. In Acts we read, and the church prayed all night. Peter was set free. But there's a greater freedom. And these people who are advocating a different doctrine, look what he says, but godliness, they're teaching that they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, that's what he was talking about in Hebrews, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from faith, the faith, and pierced themselves with many a pang. So, flee from these things. Run away. There's only two times that the Bible says we should flee. Do you know what those two things are? Two things we're supposed to run from in the Bible. Only two. Resist the devil. That's not running from him. We don't run away from the devil. But we are called to run from two things. This one? Hmm? No? Youthful lusts. Money, the love of money, run from it. You can't 
stand up against it. Your only hope is escape. Run from it. And if you're struggling with youthful lusts in your body, run from it. You can't stand against it. That's why Joseph ran out of the house. He didn't stand there in front of Potiphar's wife and say, Oh, I can deal with this. Mm -mm. He runs for his life. And he was saved. All right away, he ended up in prison. But ultimately it saved his life. Those two things. Are you running from this? Your child of God? Covetousness. We cannot stand against it. We must run from it. But not just run anywhere. He tells us where to run. Flee these things, you man of God, and pursue, run after, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's the word the Lord has been sharing with me when it comes to making this choice between God and mammon. This word of contentment is not something that comes to us automatically. The only way I'm going to get it, the only way to it, is running to God who promises, I will be your helper. I will be your helper, but you've got to leave all your other stuff. Give me your heart. And if that isn't happening, it doesn't mean you actually, the Lord may not actually call you to sell your physical stuff, but you've got to leave it. Your heart has to leave it and come to Him, and that's where you'll find contentment. No matter how much you have or how little you have. The homeless guy on the street is as discontent as you are. Have you read his sign? What does it read? I'm content. God bless you. Have you ever seen a homeless person have a sign? I'm content. God bless you. Jesus loves you. No. I need your money. I need your money. I need your money. His heart is in the same place as the rich man in his castle. Because you know what that man is saying? You know what Bill Gates is saying? You know what these rich men? Who's, who, who's the guy that, uh, I can't think of his name. Jeff Bezos or the other one? Elon Musk. You think he has enough? You think he would say he has too much? I don't think so. He always wants more. Maybe he thinks he has enough of money, but he now wants to go to space. He wants, there's always never enough. Back on my 29th birthday, I opened this book up this morning. I remembered this book and how it changed my life. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And a, a, a dear brother and sister gave it to me on my 29th birthday. And I remember when they gave it to me, shortly before this, a brother who was my spiritual mentor uh, gave me a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. You should read that book. If you want a, a good encouragement in what I'm sharing with you today, The Pursuit of God, he goes through the scriptures 
and looks at the men who pursued God with all their heart, who made this transaction, took their heart from earthly things and set their heart upon God and where it took them and how God added all these things to their life. Saul, for instance, set his heart on his earthly kingdom. He was the first king, and he set his heart on fame, reputation of the people. You can read about this in Genesis. Um, I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 through chapter 15, when God tested him, he wanted to be honored by the people. And how did he die? Can someone tell me how Saul died? Do you remember? Who killed him? He killed himself. He was so, so desperate. Why? Because God wasn't speaking to him anymore. He went to see a witch the night before he died. His end was suicide. How did David die? David, whom God said to Saul through Samuel, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And David set his heart upon God. Was David perfect? No. But where was his heart? Through all of his struggles of life, where was his heart? Upon God. How did he die? You should read it. The end of 1 Samuel. You can read where David's heart was. Had God added all these things to him? Yes. But where was his heart? You know what he did with all that stuff? He took all of the wealth that God had blessed him with, the mammon. You know what he did with it? He gave it to the temple. He gave it back to God before God took him home. He said, Lord, you've blessed me with all this. Now I'm going to give it all away back to you. Because that's where his heart was all along. That's the encouragement we have from the scriptures. And that's the encouragement I want to share with you if you can get a hold of this book or The Pursuit of God. If you want to come and draw near to God and get to know Him better, you may have to sell your stuff. God may tell you to. But the one thing you must do, your heart must leave it. And all of a sudden, all the... Or the... Whether it's deflation or inflation, all those feelings, they won't matter anymore. You'll still feel them. I feel them. But my faith is not anchored to it. My faith isn't there. My obedience is to Him because He has my heart. And that's where I get my help from. Because whatever he gives me, whether it's little or much, I found my heart a home, and that's him. And all of these things can come and go, and they will. But my heart has found the resting place in Christ. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for sharing that, Phil. Yeah, I think.
the Apostle Paul summed it up about as, as good as he can in learning to be content in whatever state you are, whether it's in plenty or when you have needs or persecution, health, sickness, none of those things should be the determining factor of our contentment in Christ. Thank you, Phil, for sharing. I think that brings us to the close of the service, and as usual, we have lunch, which is probably ready, so if you can, let's stand to our feet, and uh, we'll have a closing prayer, and a blessing on the meal, Judd. Dear Lord, we just want to thank you for this good day and for the sermon that we heard from Phil. And pray you bless the rest of our afternoon as we go forward from here. And I pray you bless the hands that prepared the food and that we'd have a good rest of our evening. In Jesus' name, amen.